Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. they are to be around. Amen. All right. Well, I want to continue this morning in our series that we began several weeks ago called Why, where we have been examining uh, what it is that we believe and why we believe it. Um, I think this is week four. Uh, Next week will be the conclusion. It'll be the final week of this series. How many of you could say that this has helped you thus far? If you're here, show of hands. You say, this has helped you thus far. I'm so glad. I believe that we live in a day and in a culture that demands us to be informed about what it is that we believe. We live amongst people that need to know why we believe in the Bible. Why do we believe in Jesus? Why do we believe in God? Uh, and so I hope that this series has thus far answered some of those questions for you. Uh, I believe that it has, and I know that for me it's been a great stretch uh, and a great exercise uh, in preparation and in just revisiting why it is that we believe these things. So thank you for, uh, for taking part in the series. I'm going to continue this morning um, in picking up where we left off. Last week we investigated what the Bible has said about God and about Jesus. Uh, and today we're going to continue along that line, picking up on the question, why Jesus? And then we'll uh, ask another question today, which is why salvation? Why is salvation important? Why is salvation vital to us? Um, so so let's, let's do that. Before we get into it, I would like for us to make our faith declaration that we make each week. Uh, declaring this over ourselves. Uh, you know, the early church and, uh, and many other churches throughout history have a practice of confessing things together. Uh, creeds and, and belief systems and doctrines. Uh, this is something that we get to do, that we enjoy confessing together. So let's declare this out loud today. Thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you, my heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today, I am growing in the things of God. We believe that that is true. Amen. So I'd like for us to pick up where we left off regarding Jesus. And actually, let me give you just a a recap of each week of, of the questions that we've asked each week that have gotten us to this point, just on the off chance that you need to be reminded of it. We began in our introduction by talking about culture and the, and the, the way that culture is in our current day. We talked about the position the, that society occupies. We talked about how, um, how belief systems cycle based on generations. Um, and how we're in a generation right now that has that has departed from the faith on a broad scale. We live in an America and in an American culture that looks dramatically different than the American culture that our grandparents and parents grew up in. Uh, that being the case, we can't necessarily rely on some of the same presumptions when it comes to preaching the gospel. Hence, the nature of this series and asking the question, why? So we talked about why belief that was the first thing that we, the first why question. We started way back from the Bible. We didn't even get to the Bible until the third week. Or, excuse me, until the second week. But we asked the question, why belief? 
We followed that up with the question, why truth? Why is truth important? Well, if you're going to believe something, you ought to believe the truth. We said, why the Bible? Why is the Bible important? And I gave you what I think are some conclusive reasons why you can believe in and trust in the Bible. And then we asked the question, why God and why Jesus? And that's where we pick up today. Before I pray, I want to invite you and ask you this morning uh, to not assume that we already know this stuff just because some of what we cover today may seem like it's old information. How many of you have heard some gospel presentations before? Right? If you're saved, everybody, right? You may have heard some of the things and some of the scriptures that we're going to talk about this morning, but I want to encourage us all not to assume that because we've already heard it, we already know it. Let's not assume that because we've heard this before, we already know everything there is to know about it. How many of you know that the Bible and the Word of God is infinite in its scope and we'll never get to the bottom of this book? And if you've gotten to the bottom of this book, then I can tell you the God you're worshiping is a little too small and you need to back up and rethink some things. But let's not make that assumption this morning, okay? Let's be on the edge of our seats spiritually because I believe that God can show you something that you've never seen before in the scripture this morning. In fact, I believe he wants to. Amen? You believe that this morning? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for another opportunity to come before your word. I thank you that the Bible says the entrance of your word gives light. Lord, I pray that you would give light and clarity, revelation, knowledge, and insight and wisdom into your word this morning. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts in ways that we can understand as we uncover the word. We'll be careful to give you all the glory and all the praise for these things in the mighty name of Jesus. If you believe it, say amen, amen. and amen. So let's pick up where we left off last week regarding Jesus. What do we know at this point in our series about Jesus? What did we talk about last week when we introduced the idea of why God and why Jesus? You'll remember last week that I, that I took you through the Old Testament and showed you uh, a bunch of different names from God, the seven Jehovah names of God, uh, uh, the, the eighth name, the, the first name that God revealed about himself, Elohim, and what that meant. Uh, we talked about all of that, and then we came over to the New Testament, and we uncovered that the Bible says in Philippians that God has, in fact, highly exalted Jesus and given Jesus the name that is above all of the other names that we covered. As wonderful as the name Jehovah Jireh is, it doesn't compare to the name Jesus. Jesus is the name that is above all the other names. We said that when we get a hold of Jesus, we've gotten a hold of God himself. We said that he is God in the flesh. He is the incarnate one. What does it mean to be incarnate? That's a theological term, the incarnation. Have you heard that term before? means to be 100% God and 100% man at the same time. How does that happen? I don't know. I'm not God. I didn't make this up. He did. This wasn't my idea. It was his. How is it that Jesus is, is, is God yet in the flesh? How is he God and man perfectly fulfilling both of those roles at the same time? I don't know. Eternity will take, uh, will take all of eternity to figure that out and to come to a more uh, complete understanding of that. It's going to take forever for us to, to understand all there is to get about God. So he is God in the flesh. He is, Hebrews says, the exact image of the Father. 
He is the highest authority, name above all names. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus raises from the dead and he says to the disciples, all authority in all of heaven and earth has been given to me. He's the supreme, he's the boss, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is God reaching into the sinfulness of mankind. Every other world religion offers attempts at humans reaching upward to God, but Christianity alone shows us a picture of how God himself reached towards man because of his love for us. John 3.16, the most quoted scripture of all time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It doesn't say that God so loved the world that he shouted down from heaven, I love you. <laughs> it says, for God so loved the world that he gave. How did he give? He came in the flesh. He came himself. He, he left aside his royal dignities and he put on a garment of flesh. He put on the garment of humanity and he stepped into our story. This is not something that we have in, in other world cultures and other world religions in other systems of belief, we don't see this. Hinduism offers us up 330 million deities. Most of them are ruthless. Islam shows us an unmerciful God with 99 names listed for him throughout the Quran, none of which mean love. Buddhism suggests a path to enlightenment through the impossible human effort of extinguishing all desire. You want to get to nirvana? You want to get to enlightenment? Great. Just stop wanting to get to enlightenment. It's, true. it's really true. Buddhism denies its own, the, the, the premise of its own faith. The whole idea that Buddha came with, he, Buddha was raised... Uh, Hindu. He was from India and he came out of the Hindu culture and he, he rejected the Vedas and he rejected all the spiritual authorities of the time. And he said the way to actually get where we want to go is to eliminate all human desire completely. The problem is if you want to do that, you can't. If you desire to eliminate all desire, you're, you're, you're stuck before you start. Judaism gets us a little bit closer, but it still leaves us just short, waiting on and looking for a Messiah, a Savior, to come and cleanse us of our unrighteousness. It's only Jesus. Jesus Christ is the only God who freely offers his righteousness in exchange for our filthiness, and he's the only one who stepped out of his deity to hand deliver it to humanity. If you drive down Old Highway 421 through Deep Gap, or as I like to call it, God's country, because that's close to where I live. If you drive through Deep Gap down Old 421, thank you for laughing, whoever it was over here that laughed. If you drive down Old 421, you head towards Dollar General, you'll see a large barn that has some words printed on the side of it, very large letters. Paid on this barn is a statement that all of us have seen or heard before. In fact, we're familiar enough with this statement that the depth of it and the truth of it are sometimes lost on us, yet it remains as powerful and profound and ever as ever, and that is the statement, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. 
Jesus saves. I want you to think about that for a moment. Because if you've experienced his salvation, you know that to be true. But maybe it's been a while since you revisited the reality that only Jesus is capable of saving you. That only Jesus has the capacity of love, the capacity of, of willingness to give, the capacity to come and step into your, your shoes and actually offer you salvation. Why Jesus? In everything that we've said last week, all the, all the things about Jesus being the, you know, the creator and the dominion and the authority of the universe and all the stuff we, we just reviewed about what we've said about Jesus. Why Jesus, in addition to what we've said, it's because Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. If you want to bundle it up into something that everybody from age about three and a half to 103 and a half can understand. Jesus is the savior of the world. To a world that is in sin, lost and dying, Jesus Christ offers salvation out of darkness and into light, out of death and into life. And Pastor Josh, we already know all this. Yeah, I know you do, but you need to be reminded of it this morning. Yeah, I know you know this. I know it too. My kids know it pretty well. But we need to be reminded of this. We need to be reminded of it. You know why? Because sometimes we live like we've forgotten the reality of this. Sometimes we live like we've forgotten the reality that Jesus and him alone is the one who saves. Sometimes we get comfortable in our Christianity. Can I talk to anybody in here this morning? Sometimes we get a little bit lax in our belief. We're just so happy to have our quiet time and just go on our day, meandering through life, just content to be in relationship with the Lord, but never once thinking of the fact that all the, the, the crowds of people that surround us in our life may not have yet had that experience. They may not yet have discovered that it is Jesus who saves. They may still be looking to try to become better on their own. Maybe they're looking for another path towards God. Maybe they're looking for some, some option. But they've not yet discovered that Jesus is the only one with the capacity to save the hurts of their dying hearts. We need to be reminded of it a little bit. We have the cure for sin, my friends. We have the cure. His name's Jesus. We need to be reminded of the fact that Jesus saves because we need to remember that he actually wants to save somebody else yeah. through us. <laughs> Look, man, if you had a cure for cancer, you wouldn't keep it to yourself, right? I mean, I hope not. <laughs> Maybe you're maniacal. <laughs> Maybe, maybe if you did have the cure for cancer, you'd be like, I'm going to hold this close to the chest. <laughs> no, of course, that's ridiculous, right? It's ridiculous. No, if we had the cure for cancer, we'd want everybody to know about it, especially those closest to us who are sick. So the reality is that Jesus is the cure. Jesus is the Savior. How do we define Jesus? We're asking ourselves the question, why Jesus? Well, in the simplest terms that anybody can understand, it's because he is the Savior of the world. He is the Messiah. The word Christ 
is the word, the, the Greek word that mirrors the Hebrew word Messiah, which simply means savior. It means the, the one whom God anointed to be the savior of the world. Can I give you some scriptures about this this morning? Matthew chapter one, verse 21 says, and she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 18 verse 11 said, for the son of man has come to save that which was lost. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ, watch this, came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. This is, that was the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy, his spiritual son. He said, Jesus Christ came into this world, why? To save sinners of whom I am the chief. Hebrews 7, verse 25, I love this verse. It says, therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them, to make up the difference for them. Jesus is alive, and as long as he's alive, he's going to be making up the difference between God and man. Jesus is the only one that actually brought salvation to humanity. Why? Because we needed it. We were hopeless without it. Hopeless. Theologians call the hopeless condition of man apart from God, they call it the depravity of man. The depravity of man. man mankind was apart from God since the beginning, since the Garden of Eden, and we could do nothing about it. We could not fix it. We are hopeless. This brings us into one of the last few questions that we're going to be asking in this why series, which is the question, why salvation? If Jesus is such a big deal as a savior, why, why is he a savior? Why is salvation a big deal? Why do we need to be saved? Have you ever thought about this before? Have you ever given thought to the, to the reality that, man, you need to be saved? Well, why? Saved from what? Saved from what? You know, we don't ask each other these kind of questions because we're already like in the Jesus Club, you know? But like there's people out there that don't know the answer to this question. And, 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 and it doesn't do us good to just walk up to him and say, hey, listen, you know you need to be saved. Why? I'm a pretty good person. I pay my taxes. Don't beat my wife. You know, I'm great. I haven't killed anybody in the last 10 minutes. I'm, I'm all right. I'm a good person. Why do I need to be saved? How insulting to insinuate that I am anything less than a perfect, flawless human being. Why would I need to be saved? Maybe they won't ask it with that quite, with that level of jesting. But I can guarantee you that people who are far from God absolutely want to know the answer to this question. Why do we need to be saved? Somebody tell me, somebody give me a good argument for why we need to be saved. Saved from what? 
Luke 14, 23, Jesus is talking and he says, Tell, then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that the house may be full. Why are we compelling the world to come in? What is it that we're asking of them? Why are we, why are we saying repent and be saved? Why would we say that? Because mankind, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down or try to remember it, go back and listen to it. Get this in your thinking. Why salvation? Because mankind, though made in the image of God and made with the innate understanding of right and wrong, is still fundamentally flawed. Do you remember that we talked about that a few weeks ago? We talked about the reality that you and I are innately built into each and every one of us is what C.S. Lewis calls the law of nature or the moral law, the distinction of understanding the difference between right and wrong. Your kids, if you're a parent, your kids know right from wrong. They absolutely do. I've watched my children. Looking at you, kiddo. I've watched my children peek up at me to check and see if I was going to watch whether the decision that they were about to make. You tell a kid, don't do this, and then they're like, don't cross this line. And like, which line? This one? This line right here? <laughs> see, it's built into humanity, the ability to know between right and wrong. But despite that fact, despite that we are, are made in the image of God and we have this innate ability to know what truth is, we are still, all of us, each of us, born with what the Bible calls a sin nature. Therefore, we are fundamentally, fundamentally intrinsically flawed. We were born with the stain of sin on our lives. I want that to sink in and I want you to think about that for a second. We, each of us, no matter how good you were, no matter what kind of family you come from, no matter what your background is, no matter how you were raised, no matter what your talents and your skill sets are, every single one of us was born with this fundamental flaw uh, uh, that the Bible calls a sin nature. We are born with the stain of sin on our lives. This is not a popular subject to preach about. I can see how excited you're getting as I share this deep revelation. <laughs> no, man, pastors, we want to preach on stuff that gets people fired up and excited. God wants you to be blessed. Amen. But the reality is God does want you to be blessed. But, but, but he can't bless you, not the way he wants to, until you repent of that sin nature you were born with. Until you come to Jesus. And he can't help anybody else out there either that's not walking with the Lord until they have their own Damascus Road experience with God where they lay down their lives and surrender to the goodness and the lordship of Jesus Christ. We were born with the stain of sin on our lives and while we can't do anything about the condition in which we were born, we can absolutely do something about the condition in which we die. I want to say that to you again. While we cannot do anything about the condition in which we were born, you can't fix how you were born. You can't change how, where, when, and why you were born. Anybody ever tried to change their parents? Change the place you were born? 
Man, I really wish I would have been born in Montana instead of New York. Well, too bad. <laughs> I really wish I'd have been born in the 30s. I do. I'll tell you what. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm a nostalgic human being. You, you come to my house for dinner, and you let me cook you some Italian food. We're going to be listening to Frank Sinatra. We're going to be, I, I'm telling you, man, I was born in the wrong decade. We're going to be, fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. That's me. I was born in the wrong decade. No, I wasn't. I was born for just such a time as this. I can't change when, where, and how I was born, but I can absolutely change the condition in which I die. I can't fix the fact that I came into this world with sin, but I can respond to Jesus and he can change me. Most of us understand the story of the fall of mankind. If you don't, I'll give it to you in real brief synopsis. God creates man and woman in his image, places them in this place called the Garden of Eden, tells them of all the trees in this whole garden you can eat except for this one. This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, in the day that you eat of it, surely you shall die. The Hebrew says, in dying you shall die, meaning in dying spiritually, you will eventually die physically. Of course, you know the story. The, the serpent comes, possessed by the devil, begins talking to Eve and convinces her to take this fruit. She then shares it with her husband, whom the Bible says was with her the whole time. Way to go, Adam. And they, they take and partake of this together, disobeying that which God had said. This is what theologians define and call the fall of man. Man was created in ultimate moral and natural and spiritual perfection and still failed. Romans 3 and 23 says, for all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 9 says, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. We have previously charged that both Jews and Greeks, that they're all under sin. Notice the language here, under sin. Under the weight of this nature that we've been carrying around from the moment of our first breath. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20 really drives it home. It says, for there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. There's not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Now thank God for the cross of Jesus Christ. That was, that was written in Ecclesiastes. That was in the Old Testament. And let me tell you something. At that time, there wasn't any just men. There wasn't any, anybody on earth who doesn't sin. But praise God because of the cross because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because I can believe in and put my faith in who Jesus is, that I can be a just man. Amen? Now, if you were to take a poll on planet Earth now, there's plenty of just men and just women walking around with the righteousness of God imparted and imputed to them. But Pastor Josh, what about the people who think they're a good person and they aren't sinful? What about them? I've heard a couple people say they're wrong. Over on this side, they're wrong. They're deceived. Okay, that's true. Try using that over Thanksgiving and see how it goes. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't want to hear you talk about, you know, living for Jesus and serving the Lord. I'm a good person. No, you're not. Mashed potatoes, poo in your face. Boom. Boom. <laughs> 
It doesn't work like that, does it? What does the Bible tell us? Speak the truth in love. love. Thank you very much. You see, we can't ever confuse humanity's intention with its spiritual condition. Thank you, Sean. We can I got no, I get an amen from somebody. We can never confuse humanity's intention with its spiritual condition. Do you realize most people actually want to be good? In fact, a lot of them are striving to it. Every single day striving to be better. All you have to do is scroll through your Instagram feed to find out that people day in and day out are perpetually striving to be better. Why do, you, why do you think the gym fills up every January? Ah, oh, man, I want to just be, I want to look better. I want to sound better. I want to have better posture. I want to speak better. I want to be, no, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read 63 books this year. I'm going to do it because I want my vocabulary to grow. I can do this. You see, people are constantly working on their behavior to try to change it. Now, some of them aren't. Some of them are just really immature, but I mean, those who are, you know, the people that you would consider to be, yeah, he's a pretty good guy. She's a pretty good lady. They're trying real hard to be better. So this has nothing to do then with behavior. It has nothing to do with the outward impression that we show to the world. Why salvation is so important has nothing to do with fixing and modifying our behavior. Though that is humanity's intention, it doesn't fix the problem of their spiritual condition. The question is not, does a person have good behavior? The question is, has a person been born again? I know this is basic. I know this is super like Bible 101, Jesus 101, but sometimes we got to go back to 101. We're, we're off in 401 talking about all kinds of theories and we forgot the basic stuff. Let's go back to the beginning. John chapter three, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus and he says these words, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Here's the reality regarding salvation. It's not about a change in something external, behavior, attitude, affluence, you name it. It's about a change in spiritual condition. Why do we believe in salvation? Because we believe that humanity was born into sin and under the weight of crushing sin. Jesus did not come to make bad people good, but he came to make dead people alive. (laughs) So the question is, can a person save themselves? Can we earn this? We know the answer is no. The reality is that man alone is powerless to change his own spiritual condition. As powerless as a dead person trying to fix lunch. Can't do it. When someone passes away, that's it. They can't do anything for themselves anymore. They're dead. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that, that while we were yet dead in trespasses and sins, Christ came and died for us. You see, Jesus offers something to us that we cannot, we are incapable of offering to ourselves. Romans 5 verse 6 in the NLT says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Jeremiah in chapter 13 asks the question, can the leopard change his own spots? 
No, you see, we're helpless. We can't, we can't fix this problem on our own. I need saving. Even Paul himself, at the end of Romans chapter 7, when you, if you ever get the chance to read Romans 7, uh, read it in the context of chapter 6. In fact, if you're really excited, go back to chapter 5. And um, if you really want to go, just start at Romans 1.1. And then by the time you get to the end of Romans 7, Paul, in utter frustration, just, just shouts out this question that has just rung out for the last 2,000 years. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death. He goes on to say, but I thank my God through Jesus Christ. And then he begins Romans chapter 8 verse 1 by saying, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. You see, Jesus has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And he wants to do for them out there what they can never do for themselves, which is why we need to know what we believe about salvation. So in the last few minutes that I have for you this morning, how then technically, legally, in the nuts and bolts of it, how then does salvation come through Jesus to us? Have you ever wondered this question? Romans 5, 17 and 18, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, says this. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. How, how does this technically transpire? I mean, what is the, what's the legality here? How do we go from being dead in trespasses and sins to being alive with God? Why was it that, that Adam, you know, his sin, his, his mistake, his, his treason plunges us into sin so that, so that when I was born, I was born with a sin nature and there was nothing I could do about it? How does that get remedied? If you're taking notes, you may want to write this one down. The same way that Adam got us into sin, Jesus got us out. The same way that Adam got us into sin is the way that Jesus got us out of it. You see, it was through obedience to God that Jesus became the perfect sacrifice for our sin. Adam disobeyed, Jesus perfectly obeyed. I want to I drop this nugget, and I want you to think about this. Adam had the choice, or what theologians call the free will. Adam had the choice, or free will, to obey God. When he chose not to be obedient to God, he plunged all humanity into sin. Humans from the time of Adam to the time of Christ, lived without free will. At least not to the same extent that we live now. You see, Jesus, one of the greatest things that Jesus ever restored to humanity was this, their ability to choose God. 
That's something that you really should think about and give some thought to. God, when Jesus perfectly obeyed God, he restored back to humanity for the first time in thousands of years the ability to actually choose to follow God. So as I, as I wind down and land the plane, can we get super technical for a second? How many of you got five minutes left in you? Four minutes and 48 seconds to be exact. As we get super technical as we land the plane here, how was it that Adam disobeyed? I want you to think. I want to challenge you to, to, to dig deep for a moment. How was it that Adam disobeyed? By eating fruit? Is that the disobedience? That he ate the fruit? Maybe God was, you know, keto and he wanted Adam to be keto too. (laughs) Maybe he just wanted a little cobbler and he was just, why why do, why is all of humanity got to go down the pipes now just because I wanted to eat a piece of fruit? What was Adam's true sin? I want you to think about this. What was Adam's true sin? As you're thinking about it, understand this is a hugely important question. Because understanding how Adam disobeyed will actually show us how it is that we can obey God. Is this too deep? Is this too technical? Okay, good. I'm just pushing on you a little bit because I want you to think. John Maxwell says most people like to have their thinking done for them, but uh, I don't want that to be you this morning, so... What was Adam's real sin? Adam's true sin is that he chose to believe in something other than God. Think about that. He chose to believe in something other than God. What was the real act of disobedience? Was it the action of eating? Was it the action of eating this piece of fruit because God said don't eat it and he did it anyways? Yeah, that, that was his disobedience. But what was it that fueled his disobedience? Because if you can understand what it was that fueled Adam's disobedience, you'll understand what it is that will fuel your salvation. Adam sinned by believing something other than what God had said. The serpent shows up to Eve and, and he says these famous words, hath God truly said He introduces doubt to her. He introduces to her the illusion of another option. And in seeing this supposed other option, her eyes and Adam's eyes were drawn away from believing what God had said to now believing this false alternative. And I want you to understand this morning that what God is after is the same choice that he gave Adam to believe him. He offers that same choice because of what Jesus did to you and I, that we too would believe in him. And in the way that Adam fell, you don't have to fall. In the way that Adam sinned and transgressed, you don't have to do that. You have been restored to you the option to believe in God. The thing that Adam should have done. And you and I now get to do that. We get to believe in God. What is salvation really all about? Whether or not we as individuals believe that Jesus Christ is God. That's it. That is it. 
Now, now look, I understand the Christian life is more complex than just that, okay? I get that. I understand that the Christian life is more complex than just do you believe that Jesus is God. But when we boil it all down to what it is that actually causes us to be saved, it's whether or not we choose to believe that Jesus is God. Can I tell you something this morning? God's not after your behavior. He's after your belief. Amen. He's not after your behavior. He's after your belief. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Such a famous passage. It says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Hebrews 6 tells us that it's our belief, our faith, that is what is pleasing to God. After all, are we not as Christians, are we not called believers? See, God's not out there trying to, trying to just polish you up and fix your behavior. And it wasn't merely Adam's behavior that caused him to plunge the world into sin. It was what was going on in Adam's heart while he ate the fruit. He chose to believe in some false other option. And I'm, I'm telling you what, since that day, he's been, the, the devil has been serving up one after another after another of false other options. We live in a world that has more options than it ever has. And now we've come full circle from where we started at four weeks ago. Do you remember what my first why question was? Why belief? Here we've come full circle to the question of belief, we said then that we were hardwired by God with the capacity to believe and it's our belief in him that is actually the thing which causes us to be saved. So from the beginning, God's not after your behavior, he's after your belief. He's not after your head, he's after your heart. We have the opportunity to succeed where Adam failed. Why? Because Jesus restored to us the opportunity to believe. Jesus gave back to us the opportunity to believe. If you really want to know what was so special about why Jesus came, he brought back to us that very opportunity that he gave Adam at the beginning, which was simply to believe and take him at his word. Adam, you see all these other trees in the garden? You can have all of them. Eat as much as you want. But I want you to preserve that one. I want to give you an option to trust me with all the other things that I've given you and leave that tree alone. See, it wasn't, it wasn't just about what Adam ate. It was about his heart. It was about the reality that he within himself was choosing to believe something other than God. It is this message of believing, which is what we as the church are called to preach. This is the gospel. 
that God has forever taken care of the sin problem. Jesus has once and for all dealt sin, its final blow. And in that moment on the cross, when he said it is finished, he gave back to humanity the ability to choose God once more. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that you and I have the ability once again to trust and believe in the word of God, to trust and believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of this world. I, I, I want to ask you the question, how are we communicating this message to the world? Maybe a better question is, are we communicating this message to the world? Are we taking this gospel, this invitation to once again believe? Are we taking that into the world? What is the mission of this church of Jesus Christ anyway? You see, this is where we're going to conclude our series next week. We're going to ask ourselves the question, why the church? And why the mission of the church? What is the mission that God has given the church? We need to reclaim the value of church for this generation. I was thinking about this this week and I, I, I intend to step on all of our toes if I haven't already done so this morning and again next week. We, we need to reclaim the value of the church for this generation that's coming up behind us. My kids, your kids, they need to see that church is valuable enough to be a part of it. I, I, I was driving yesterday. Y'all humor me for just another two minutes. I was driving home yesterday and I was thinking of the fact that for several years now, for about for the last 15, 20 years, the seeker movement in America has garnered a lot of attention, some good, some bad. That there's, there's those in the body of Christ who are just so frustrated with seeker churches, seeker sensitive. You familiar with that terminology? If you're not familiar with that terminology, it's, it's a church that, uh, that seeks to draw the world in by making church as attractive as possible for the lost. And in some cases, it's, we, you know, we've erred and we've messed that up. In some cases, uh, we, we've watered down the message to a degree that someone can come to church and never be given the opportunity to believe in Jesus. So I understand the frustration that people have with the seeker-sensitive movement, especially those of us who are more radical than others about Jesus. But can I tell you where, where the seeker-sensitive movement got it right? They, re they sought to reestablish value in our culture for church. 
And they did so by promoting amenities. They did so by promoting things like, you know, small groups and life groups and come and be invested and come find a place to serve. And we got really good hot coffee and donuts in the lobby. And it's the best way you can spend your Sunday morning and, and all these other bridges to bring people to Jesus. And then sometimes people stay on the bridge and they never actually get to Christ. But can I tell you where they got it right? They reestablished in many people's minds the value of church. Can I tell you? Let me tell you that I love you before I say this. I love you. Can I tell you that Jesus Christ and his church are more valuable than college football? Can I tell you that Jesus Christ and his church are more valuable than the lake trip or the beach trip or the ski trip or the mountain trip or your 12th vacation for the year? Can I tell you that Jesus Christ and his church are more valuable than that Instagram post, more valuable than that Netflix series that you feel is so bingeable? Jesus laid his life down. He died. He left heaven. He left eternal glory to come and lay his life down. And then before he left this earth, when he rose from the grave, he handed to us this baton, this mission and said, go into all the world and tell everybody that they now have the ability to believe me. And that mission is way more important than any other thing that I have in my life. Next week, we'll talk more about why the church. Can you stand up to your feet this morning? Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.